You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of The Corbett Report. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this 28th day of January 2012. So thank you once again for joining me, and let me take this opportunity to remind you all to check my website, CorbettReport.com, for previous editions of this podcast, as well as articles, interviews, and videos that I've created and conducted in the past, and links to some of my other websites, like FukushimaUpdate.com and ClimateGate.tv. Let me also take this opportunity to thank once again all of those subscribers who make this podcast possible for just 100 Japanese yen, that's about a buck fifty a month. People can support this work and help to keep it going and growing and independent alternative commercial free media. So more information about that can be found on CorbettReport.com under the support tab. That's CorbettReport.com slash support if you want to go directly there. You can either sign up for my uh, subscribers-based newsletter, which comes out on a monthly basis and includes news a news roundup written by myself and a subscriber-exclusive video and discounts on my DVDs. Or on the support tab, you can also just purchase my DVDs directly. And in the interest of not counting eggs before they hatch, I won't spill too much, but I think it might be in your interest to subscribe to the newsletter soon if you're interested in forthcoming DVDs, because I'm hoping there will be something in the month of February for all of you guys out there who are looking for, well, the next Corbett Report DVD to come along. I won't say more than that at this point, because um, it isn't in the in the bag, so to speak, yet, but when it is, I will certainly let you know. So on that note, let's get straight into today's episode. Welcome, my friends, to episode 216 of the Corbett Report podcast, Who's Gaming Who? For decades now, the wizards of Hollywood have been programming into the subconscious minds of our susceptible youth the idea that they will graduate from being pimply-faced teenage video game players to cold warriors and or defenders of the galaxy. David Lightman was a master at computer games. A fast thinker. Oh, David! Maybe you could tell us who first suggested the idea of reproduction without sex. Your wife? Get out, Lightman. And a promising student Hi. at an old game. Hi. With an electronic twist. Those are your grades? Yeah. I don't think that I deserved it, F. Do you? go to jail for that only if you're over 18 this computer company is coming out with these amazing new games in a couple of months and i want to play those games wow we got something he found the right code word to play the game we're in but it was the wrong computer shall we play a game i can't ask you that how about mobile thermo nuclear war fine all right Trajectory headings for multiple impact re-entry vehicles. How's that mean? I don't know, but it's great. <laughs> Come on, Alex, they're here! Alex Rogan had a dream. You really are leaving here, aren't you? To be as far away from here as possible. You get your chance. When it comes, you gotta grab it with both hands. Started with a game. You 
gonna bust the record. But it wasn't just any game. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Sur and the Kodan Armada. And then one night. Centauri's the name. We have to talk about a matter of utmost importance. Step into my office. I've seen them come and I've seen them go, but you're the best, my boy. Light years ahead of the competition. Then. Alex didn't find his dream. Come now, James, I can already hear the incredulous amongst you beginning to say. You can't really be suggesting that light-hearted 1980s Hollywood flicks like The Last Starfighter or War Games has any bearing on our current reality, can you? Well, my dear incredulous listeners, allow me to demonstrate. You'll notice, for instance, in that first clip, the War Games trailer from 1983, a Matthew Broderick vehicle, that uh, that raises the specter of cybersecurity, especially as it concerns U.S. defense. And you'll notice that that plot revolves around a a genius but uh, inept teenager, a bumbling teenager who manages to stumble into the United States Department of Defense computers and almost start World War III just playing around on his computer. And that's an idea that very much has uh, taken hold in recent years as we see Dick Clark and others of his sort, Richard Clark, that would be the White House uh, advisor, going around and uh, trying to drum up the drums of war and get everyone scared about the possibility of this cybersecurity threat. Threat, not from pimply-faced teenagers so much as those pesky Chinese or whoever the threat of the day might be. And we see more and more the entire resources of the Department of Defense being geared towards this to the point where the world of war games, of course, may not come true in that fashion, but it's at least one vector for a false flag or a virtual false flag, as Webster Tarpley has deemed it. And uh, amazingly enough, now you can actually graduate. These little pimply-faced teenage boys who are playing these computer games can now graduate from the United States Air Force's own academy all about cybersecurity so that they can have the cutting edge on their competition. Now, here's your Pentagon Channel report. Another class of students are set to graduate this month from the Center for Cyberspace Research at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. The center is part of the Air Force Institute of Technology at Wright-Patterson. Students at the center conduct postgraduate research and also learn to use the latest high-tech tools for another kind of warfare in the world of computer networks or cyberspace. The coursework and cyber wargaming exercises are designed to tackle real-world security issues. Educators here are preparing warfighters to handle the many threats they could face in cyber warfare. The threat doesn't just come from nation-states, it also comes from private individuals, um, it comes from organized crime, it comes from um, you know, industrial espionage, from companies trying to, trying to get information from other companies. We have these students who are coming out of the operational environments. We have students who are civilians that have security clearances coming in and being able to do that type of work okay, that directly applies back to operational warfighters. Research conducted at the Cyberspace Grad School is used by Air Force commands to help them address some of those cyber threats. Stay tuned for more on the Air Force Center for Cyberspace Research on This Week and Around the Services.
Yes, well, as my longtime listeners are no doubt aware, I definitely think that the cybersecurity idea and the possibility of a cyber false flag and all of the implications of a story like that one about the uh, the cyber training going on at these schools, I think that's all extremely important. But today I wanted to focus on a slightly different tack, and that was more along the lines of The Last Starfighter, the other trailer that we listened to at the beginning of the episode, where we have the young child being recruited into a galactic army because he was so good at the video game. And I think we can all see where this is going because, in fact, that really has become an actual, real reality on the ground today. Not with galactic space aliens, but, of course, with the U.S. Air Force and Army. (laughs) A hunt for American youth to hunt down the next American enemy. War Incorporated, a robust business machine, is operating at full capacity in the U.S. Get the strength to change the way people see you. They're strong, and then there's Army Strong. From televised ads to Hollywood blockbusters, to video games, to American presidents dubbing soldiers the real patriots. Each of them adds honor to what it means to be a soldier, sailor, airman, marine, and Coast Guardsman. The image of the American warrior is portrayed as that of the invincible hero. Times Square, one of the number one entertainment spots in the Big Apple, attracts millions from around the world and across the U.S. Apart from the flashy lights and the billboards, there's a recruitment center right here, one of hundreds just in New York. The mesmerizing techniques luring young Americans into serving are more sophisticated than ever before. Sponsoring video game tournaments and paintball tournaments, um, and then going up to these young kids who perform well and say, hey, the U.S. military needs you. We see your skills at this video game. And of course, to a young 15 or 16 or 17-year-old, this is something that's very enticing. It's a cruel and deceptive uh, type of recruitment. They want to use all the hippest tools they can to make being in the military as cool as possible. Now a cinematographer, Edward Page's dedicated 10 years to being a U.S. soldier. He thought it was the honorable thing to do. If they presented the military for what it was, I don't think anyone would join. But they do join, having played one computer game and seen one war movie too many. There's no second chances when you're actually out there and your life is at risk for something that most of these young men have no idea really the true reasons why they're even out there. By the time some of these reasons are realized... To expand military influence and domination um, in these regions of the world that are currently off limits to U.S. imperialism. It is often too late. The problem is that a lot of these kids don't know once they get in, it's hard to get out. For some, the way out is suicide. A military report says 80% of soldiers in Afghanistan have seen a friend killed or injured. Yet nothing stops the military propaganda campaign. A dire economy at home also comes in handy for the Pentagon. There's a joke in the military that the best recruiter is an economic downturn. And that recruiter is raging on. What happened after 2008 that solved their problem was the desperation of millions of Americans. We had an economic crisis. We've had unemployment zoom up. No matter the times, the power of the Pentagon seems eternal, meaning luring in more young Americans into more wars with no happy end or game over in sight. Anastasia Cherkina, RT, New York.
And we'll get more into that by taking a listen to an interesting clip from a PBS Frontline episode. But before we get into that, let's just take a look at some of the articles from around the web that I'll direct your attention to and that you can find from the documentation section for today's episode, such as this one from Kotaku.com. The U.S. Army pulls the trigger on realistic video game controllers. Quote, It's not news that you can get a plastic gun to play a video game where you get to shoot other human beings. It is news that you can get gun controllers that exist with the blessing of the U.S. Army. Today we learned that accessories maker CTA Digital will start rolling out officially licensed U.S. Army video game products, including backpacks, headsets, and rifle controllers. The Army-branded merchandise can be seen on this product page, with a link. Digital camouflage patterns like one seen on modern-day troops decorate CTA's Elite Force Assault Rifle, perhaps to make it a bit easier to imagine that you're taking out terrorist cells and geopolitical hotspots. This intersection of real-life military and video games won't please people who already think that video games exist to make war look cool. A certain brand of conspiracy theorists spends lots of time convincing themselves that first-person shooters are a sign of the apocalypse. End quote. Well, I'll let you continue reading that very fair and uh, unbiased report from Kotaku.com about the wonderful, beautiful uh, new guns and things that are being manufactured with the blessing of the U.S. Army by video game makers. And I'll let you make of that what you will. But how about this story from uh, warisbusiness.com from the 21st of September 2010? Ad agency takes Air Force recruitment arcade on the road. This adrenalized carnival tent is Command Center Alpha, the U.S. Air Force's marquee asset in a traveling recruitment fair. The idea is to create face-to-face interactions with Air Force recruiters and generate qualified leads. Basically, it's a high-tech honey trap for future Predator drone pilots who live in smallish cities in the southern and western U.S. The 80-foot by 80-foot portable video arcade includes 20 augmented reality touchpoints, presumably sort of like that Esquire cover. 12 RFID digital reward stations, and an F-16 fighter hitched to a trailer with stairs leading up to the cockpit. Other Air Force mobile marketing campaigns include the Stealth Engage Tour, which plays on the idea that the Air Force has the most high-tech, top-secret image of all the services. End quote. Once again, I'll leave the link there for you to explore that. And how about this one from nextgov.com? Pentagon-funded games would crowdsource weapons testing. Quote, the Pentagon plans to fork over $32 million to develop fun-to-play computer games that can refine the way weapon systems are tested to ensure they are free from software errors and security bugs, according to a department, Defense Department solicitation. The goal is to create puzzles that are intuitively understandable by ordinary people and could be solved on laptops, smartphones, tablets, and consoles. The game's solutions will be collected into a database and used to improve methods for analyzing software, according to the draft request for proposals put out by the military's venture capital and research arm, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. End quote. And I certainly hope that people will cast their minds back to episode 145 of this podcast or listen to it for the first time if you haven't yet done so. You Are Being Gamed, where we looked into the idea of how, uh, well, basically everything is being turned into a game as a way of getting people to do work without really thinking of it as work. And that's a very interesting psychological concept that, uh, surprisingly, the Pentagon is picking up on. Wow, who would have thought it? Well, certainly that's uh, definitely one of the angles, but perhaps one of the creepiest ways that we find uh, the idea of the virtual and the real worlds being combined and being sort of smoke and mirrored into the fabric of our society by the Defense Department is in the subject of the drones. 
and the drone warfare that is going on where literally basically teenage boys or young men are piloting actual aircraft over Afghanistan or Iran even and uh, actually bombing people and and doing all sorts of uh, military adventures from the comfort of the Creech Air Force Base back home in the United States of America, thousands of miles away, basically playing a video game with a joystick controller and a screen. And that raises some extremely disturbing implications, and that's where we will pick things up with this clip from the PBS Frontline episode that I mentioned earlier. This comes from an episode called Digital Nation, and for those keeping track at home, yes, that is the very episode of PBS Frontline that just happened to blithely admit that, uh, oh, by the way, a vice principal in a New York school that's experimenting with giving laptops to children, oh yeah, he'd by the way, just likes to uh, spy on the kids and take pictures of them while they're working or supposed to be working uh, using the school-delivered laptops. So I click, and there's an observe button, and it brings up their screen. The school's assistant principal spends part of each day remotely monitoring what the kids are doing on their laptops. Uh, we have a photo booth. He can see them, but they can't see him. These kids are goofing off taking pictures of themselves in class. So wait, do all the kids have the cameras on? Sixth and seventh grade have cameras. A lot of kids are just on it to check their hair, do their makeup. They just use it like it's a mirror. I always like to mess with them and take a picture. <laughs> Nine times out of 10, they duck out of the way. And then they shut down and they get right back to work. And for those who are interested in a little more about that particular part of that story, you can go to a a Gizmodo article that I'll put in the links for today's episode from February 26th of 2010. New York Vice Principal brags about school's laptop spying to PBS. And, uh, and of course, that relates to the much more disturbing incident of the uh, webcam spying that was going on in Philadelphia, where school officials were actually taking pictures of students unaware in their own homes. Um, so that was uh, going on, and they were spying on them in the shower and all sorts of things like that. And uh, there was some fuss kicked up from that. Anyway, it relates all into that, all of that hype. But but we're going to listen to a completely different part of this uh, very interesting episode of PBS Frontline. I do suggest that people go and, and take a look at it in its entirety. But we're going to listen to a part that's specifically concentrating on the U.S. Air Force and Army recruitment of teenagers via video games and the implications of drone fighters basically playing video games with real live weapons and all of these very interesting subjects so let's take a listen to a clip from pbs frontline technology is wrapped up in the story of war author pw singer you know look at all the things that surround us everything from the internet to jet engines These are all things where the military has been a driver for technology. Contact front! Contact front already! And technology opens up new frontiers, new directions we can go in. But it also creates new dilemmas, new questions you need to answer. Well, it's undeadly. I look like you might be taking fire at this time. One of those questions is what it means to wage a war when one side is on a physical battlefield and the other on a virtual one. Come down the ground. Thank you. From air-conditioned rooms on this Air Force base in the desert outside Las Vegas, pilots fly unmanned aerial vehicles, or drones, that execute missions in Iraq and Afghanistan. Other aircraft, airspace, altitude. 
right, looks like we're by ourselves out here in uh, 63 Bravo High. Airmen here are required to wear flight suits to work, even though they sit 7,500 miles away from the battlefield. It's one way of reminding these men that they're fighting a real war. Every so often you have technologies that come along that rewrite the rules of the game. Yet we don't talk about it because it's costless to us. Drones have the capacity to strike with extraordinary precision and at no cost to American lives. The number of drones has multiplied in recent years, and the Pentagon is clamoring for more. Noah Schachtman, Wired Magazine. The risks are all one way. In today's wars right now, the pilot gets to do all the shooting and never gets shot at, and that creates a very different attitude than somebody who is both dealing out risk and is accepting risk. Air Force Colonel William Brandt. The biggest risk that we accept is that feeling of detachment from the aircraft. You need to be able to think through a three-dimensional problem that's located 7,500 miles away from you. Real live aircraft, real live weapons, doing a real mission. I try to ensure that people understand there are people who are counting on us to do the mission. You can fly in Afghanistan one day and the very next day you're flying in Iraq. Though they're physically located here, they need to think in their mind that they are in theater because that's where the business end of that cockpit is. You're no longer sitting at Creech Air Force Base. Get in that mindset. When you step into the GCS, you are in the fight. And Viper from Deadly have a single individual on the roof on the north corner of that four-sided building. The plane's cameras can surveil their targets from up to nine miles overhead. A U.S. Air Force captain. One time, we had intel that you know, there's a bad guy riding around on a motorcycle, if you will. And uh, he's just riding around, and he stopped at two or three different playgrounds, and he's playing soccer with all these kids, you know, and he's just he's living his life, and he's, he's doing his normal everyday life. And then, you know, sure enough, at the end of that ride, though, we found him at a uh, meeting of bad people and it ended up resulting in a strike, so you end up seeing what happens. Get the copies out, we got eyes on them. 05 rifle, time of flight, 15 seconds. That's 10 seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Splash. They do take a lot of care about civilian casualties. It is very much on their mind, but um, there's no way for them to really tell. All they see is the bomb going into that building and it blowing up. They don't necessarily see what happens afterwards. A drone can't dig through the rubble and see what the consequences of that Hellfire missile was. They can't. Noah Schachtman. Estimates vary as to the number of civilians killed in airstrikes in Afghanistan. And the U.S. and NATO forces don't publicly differentiate between manned and unmanned strikes in tracking civilian casualties. We asked one of the pilots about it. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody worries about things. Uh, 
all you can do is uh, is you can make sure that you're prepared. So you you don't think you've ever hit someone you haven't intended to hit? Uh, no, I I uh, no. In the morning when I come to work, I pray I pray for strength. That God gives me strength. That He gives me wisdom. my focus is on God, then everything else in my life I've found falls into place. So. Author P.W. Singer. Going to war has meant the same thing for over 5,000 years. Going to war meant that you were going to a place where there was such danger that you might never come home again. You might never see your family again. Now compare that experience to that of a predator drone pilot. You're sitting behind a computer screen, you're shooting missiles at enemy targets, you're killing enemy combatants. And then at the end of the day, you get back in your car and 20 minutes later, you're at the dinner table talking to your kids about their homework. Hey guys. Daddy. Hi. You know, your family is not gonna totally understand. You can't explain everything to them. That's a challenge in the job that you've gotta do that day in and day out. This disconnect of being at war and at home is very tough for the human mind to wrap itself around. And we're finding that some of these drone pilots actually have combat stress and PTSD even, just like the units physically deployed into Iraq and Afghanistan. To unwind, airmen stationed at the base come here to hang out and play video games. Colonel William Brandt. <laughs> Our younger folks definitely have skill sets that some of the older guys like me didn't have the luxury of. Uh, they're definitely a technology generation. They already understand computers. It's almost intuitive for them. Last year, the Air Force trained the first class of drone pilots who weren't required to have any previous flying experience. Two, three, three. One, two. Noah Shockman, Wired Magazine. You know, do you need to do 100 push-ups if your job is to sit on your butt all day and program or watch a camera from 4,000 miles away? Do you necessarily need the same skills? You know, maybe you just need to be a good hacker and have a big butt <laughs> so you can sit in a chair all day. Excuse me? I get an Xbox 360 controller, please. In 2008, the Army closed five recruiting centers in the Philadelphia area and replaced them with this. How old are you? 14. The $13 million, 14,500 square foot Army Experience Center. Die! Here, kids 13 and up can play on one of dozens of Xboxes and PC gaming stations for free. They are simulated rifles, they are not real rifles. Recruiters mill about. Are you cheating? They can't recruit kids under 17 but they're encouraged to chat with them and answer their questions. Did you just sign up for our tournaments? Uh, I've done them before. Did you win? I won like two. You won two? I think he's the best, yeah, man. It's a soft sell, a 21st century approach to recruiting, modeled in part on the Apple Store. Major Larry Dillard. Here in the Army Experience Center, it's not the whole Army, it's not completely, you know, video games are never going to replicate the real thing. But it is a sampling experience to pique your interest and maybe... Yeah, encourage you to go learn more, just as Apple's trying to do. <laughs> Let's go kill them. We have what young Americans want and they like. Let's 
go find them and kill them. They like video games, and that's why we're here. Yeah, full victory. Look, the military understands that if it can't embrace today's digital youth, they are never going to recruit the kind of soldiers and the kind of airmen and the kind of Marines that they need to have uh, for the next century. Next to the gaming stations, the armies built life-size simulators of Humvees and helicopters. Critics say that by placing these intense simulations of war in a recruiting environment, the army is using the adrenaline rush to encourage kids to join up. Ah, man. I've never seen a place like this before, so it caught my attention. I thought it was amazing. I came in for the two days to play video games, and I was like, I got to do something more than just play video games. So I talked to one of the recruiters, signed up for the Army, I left in two weeks. Don't regret my decision since. Shame, shame, shame! War is not a game! Protesters accuse the Army of blurring the lines between game and reality, virtual war and real war. Certainly video games are not like warfare. I think most kids are smart enough to understand that. that you know, what's going on in Iraq is not virtual reality. We asked some of the kids about that. I really don't, I really don't get confused. No, it's just all fictional. I killed you. I mean, it's fun, but it's nothing like a real thing. Ooh, no way. You got sniped. How do you like it now? It's a video game. Doesn't make anybody want to shoot anybody, I don't think. Never did for me or any of my friends. Like, I don't think it's real. I don't think that that makes me want to go out there and do combat any more than anything else does. Which, again, has to qualify for one of the stupidest pieces of journalism that I've heard in a long time with uh, asking children, are you confused between video games and reality? What do you expect them to say? Yes, I think I am killing people in a real war. Of course they're not going to say that. Of course they, they as, if, as anyone else in that situation would, would say, of course I understand it's just a game. It doesn't affect me. No problems here. And, uh, and what kind of intelligent response are you going to get in, the, in that sense? And, and in a certain sense, of course it is probably quite true that most people who aren't mentally disabled or, or in some way deranged would be able to tell the difference between the virtual and the real worlds. But uh, but I think it's a much more subtle distinction that we're looking at here and looking at the way this affects not only our conscious minds, but our subconscious, our understanding of the way the world is structured and also how it subverts our, our own conscience and the things that we would not do in real life, we'd be happy to do if it is presented to us through a virtual medium. And uh, that's, I think, an important concept and especially worrying in the light of last week's episode, because if people are capable of Milai and Abu Ghraib and the things that are going on in Afghanistan as we speak, and that's in real life, in the flesh, well, how much more of a dehumanization of the enemy could be possible in their minds if that enemy was just pixels represented on a computer screen? 
I think we can all understand there are some extremely serious implications to this that need and deserve a more thorough fleshing out than we heard in that that at least in the latter part of that PBS clip. And I, again, urge you to watch it in its entirety so you understand the context. But at any rate, why don't we move along to ask the question, well, okay, so we understand that uh, that video games can and and in some senses in the actual present really are being used not only as recruitment tools for the U.S. Uh, Army and Navy and Air Force, but also as ways to indoctrinate the youth and get them into the the culture and the experience of of the combat field. And we know that the uh, the Army and the Air Force have developed their own video games to introduce people to the excitement of of uh, actually living the the life of a, an actual U.S. Uh, military troop and all of that sort of PR indoctrination that's going on. Well, it does beg the question, well, if in the 1980s this was already being predicted in Hollywood flicks, well, what are the video games of today preparing the youth of today for? Although costs at the pump are ready to break the dreaded $20 ceiling... The only good communist is a bad communist! Across the nation, civil unrest has intensified with the demise of the U.S. dollar. This is not a retreat, nor are we abandoning our Asian allies. Under threat of annihilation by the greater Korean Republic, Japan has surrendered. Martial law is now in after the president ordered a freeze on bank withdrawals. We don't know where we will get our next meal from. The Mexican government has imposed strict immigration quotas, effectively closing its borders to American refugees. Where is this leading me? What have I become? Am I more than human? Or less? This technology. This strength. The temptation to misuse it is hard to resist. If he stick his head out, Pai Young Medical is gonna chop it off. Am I strong enough to stay human? Your appointment to FEMA should be finalized within the week. I've already discussed the matter with the senator. I take it he was agreeable? He didn't really have a choice. Has he been infected? Oh yes, most certainly. This plague, the rioting is intensifying to the point where we may not be able to contain it. Why contain it? Let the bodies pile up in the streets. In the end, they'll beg us to save them. I've received reports of armed attacks on shipments. There's not enough vaccine to go around, and the underclasses are starting to get desperate. Of course they're desperate. They can smell their death, and the sound they'll make rattling their cage will serve as a warning to the rest. Hmm. I hope you're not underestimating the problem. The others may not go as quietly as you think. Intelligence indicates they're behind the problems in Paris. A bunch of pretentious old men playing at running the world. Oh yes, economic collapses and rioting and martial law and FEMA camps and pandemics and transhumanism. Oh my. Well, I trust that that would come as something of a shock for the older generation who might not uh, think of video games as anything more than Pac-Man or Pong or Super Mario Brothers. 
Whereas uh, the younger generation will probably hear all of those trailers and be able to identify those games and think, well, what's the big problem? They're only games. And I think that probably represents the fundamental bifurcation of the audience over a podcast like this or over any general presentation of any sort of worries about uh, video game culture and what where it's come from and where it's going and what it's programming our youth of today to be like because ultimately the youth will always be the youth and will always say well it's not affecting me and it only affects crazy people and uh, who's to say what should I should or shouldn't be doing with my time and uh, fair enough I'm not one to come in and say that the government or anyone else should be censoring video games or doing anything of the sort so certainly I don't see that as a viable solution and I certainly don't think that it's operating on a straightforward one-to-one basis. I certainly played video, violent video games when I was younger, although they were, I suppose, nothing compared to what they are today with the rather graphic simulations of death. But, uh, but still, I mean, there was violence in those video games. I did play them. I did not grow up to be a violent person, and I, uh, I am who I am. So certainly there is not some sort of straightforward operation at play here. And there must be a lot of nuance. So in order to give the other side of this story some play, I don't want to just sit up here on a high horse and, and wring my hands about the future of the youth with all of these violent video games games, there is something to be said on the other side, and I think there might be a case to be made that a lot of these video game designers and programmers seem to be awfully well aware of some of the conspiracy subculture, if you can call it that, talking about these concepts that we talk about here on the podcast of economic collapses and pandemics and depopulation and all of these types of themes are making its way into video games with such frequency that one could almost be forgiven for thinking, well, perhaps this is more than just a a meme or just an idea that's inserting itself or, or growing general awareness. Maybe these people are actually trying to insert these ideas into their games, not as some sort of programming for the future to come, but maybe as a type of warning. Maybe there is something that can act good that can actually come out of this about teaching youth about corruption at the highest levels and about false flag events and other such ideas that they can be implanted with at a very young age so that they understand them when they see them happening in real life unlike an older generation that didn't have these games and had only mainstream Hollywood flicks to go by for their programming and uh, and lived in perhaps a more media-naive world, if our world is media-savvy, and that's a whole other argument. But in order to flesh out the other side of this argument, I'm going to turn to a clip from the Wide Shut webcast by Keelan Balderson, who some folks out there might remember I interviewed about 7-7 uh, last year, and so that is in the interview archives of CorbettReport.com. And Keelan has his own webcast where he runs through news and headlines and things that are important uh, in UK and around the world. And in this particular episode, which aired last month, he was talking about video games and the idea of predictive programming, I suppose, in a way. But he takes a completely different track than the one that we've been investigating so far today. So in the interest of fairness, let's listen to Keelan Balderson's take on this problem or lack thereof of the video games of today. Now, before we get into this week's headlines, I just want to share an interesting little observation I made while playing a video game. Um, because it seems to me this this counterculture that we're a part of, this this alternative to the mainstream, you know, call it what you want. I personally think the truth movement labels kind of worn itself a bit thin. But point is, I think video games are often a bit more receptive to some of the alternative views out there than 
you know, often TV or film is. Um, you know, they're often less less restricted than what you might see on TV. Um, one example of this that I found quite interesting was in the game Grand Theft Auto The Lost and Damned. I don't know if anyone's played it. It's the uh, expansion to number four. I think it's number four. But one of the missions, uh, you, you play you play this biker gang, a member of a biker gang, and one of the missions was to go into an airport and blow up a helicopter so that it looked like terrorists did it. <laughs> Which I thought was... Uh, a nice touch there. Um, you're basically working for this this corrupt politician, and he wants you to kill this other politician um, who's arriving in a helicopter. But you got to make it look like a false. Uh, well, you got to make it look like terrorists did it, which you know is quite interesting. Um, the meme kind of being picked up there in popular culture. So I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, it seems the meme of false flag terror is is permeating into other areas. Um, you know, you see it in films and TV shows and stuff. And obviously it's it's been there before. I mean, you could probably find hundreds of films before 9-11 uh, and games and things that had stories involving false flags or whatever. But I just thought that, would, that was something that was interesting to to share. I mean, the whole game has themes of, of political corruption, characters making side comments about the banks. Um, you know, if you're walking about, you can hear homeless men <laughs> screaming about aliens coming and things like that. It's a pretty damn fun game. Um, all of the GTA games are good, I think. I mean, look at the graphics. Look at the detail. They're basically recreating a whole living, breathing New York City. And you can run around and do what the fuck you want in it. And whether you think these games, you know, should exist or not, because they're evil and violent or whatever, you can't deny the, the, the time and effort and skill involved in creating something like that. You know, it used to be two blocks hitting a square ball. Now it's almost real. I think that's got to count for something. Whether it means machines are taking over or whatever, you know, you can go down that route. Um, and like I say, you're going to get those people that are going to be like, oh, it, it, it's evil, it's it's teaching kids to steal cars and stuff. No. What's teaching kids to steal cars and shoot people is our fucked up, unequal society. That's causing kids to steal cars and shoot people, not video games. Perhaps if some of those kids were indoors playing video games, they wouldn't be out causing crime. And yeah, it's an adult-themed game. But I didn't know that, you know, we're all Puritans all of a sudden. What's wrong with a bit of adult entertainment? Just because some idiot gives their kid a violent video game, does that mean responsible, intelligent people shouldn't be allowed to play them? Because you see a lot of these politicians and whatnot come out and speak out against these games. There's, there's huge campaigns and, and, you know, it's quite crazy. It's kind of like the same thing when, um, you know, like you get horror films and, um, you know, someone's murdered somebody and they, and, they, and they go through their horror film collection. Like, oh, you know, it must be the horror films that did it. There's something a, a bit deeper to society's problems than 
the entertainment people choose to to play or watch or whatever. A lot of the, a lot of the time, you end up promoting games like this by speaking out against them. Well, once again, regardless of what side of the debate you come down on, I think that, uh, well, certainly I agree with the proposition that the government censorship of these games is not the answer, and speaking out against things like this only makes children want to play them all that much more because the old people just don't get it. So certainly there are some points to be made there, and once again, this probably comes down to whether or not people play video games. If they do, they'll probably be on the side of video games being just harmless entertainment for responsible adults, and if they don't, they might think of it as just more indoctrination. Perhaps the truth is somewhere in the middle and it can play both roles at once. And that, to me, is quite the interesting uh, cusp of the matter. And that's really what we have to start thinking about as these games become more and more real and start to take on a more and more real virtual reality. And that is uh, not too far in the distant future. And I think we all understand that and we all know where it's heading. The question is, do we want to think about these types of issues and what they might tell us about the future that we're heading into? Or should we just let the U.S. Department of Defense guide and steer the youth of today with their video games and their, their ideas of what the future of warfare should look like? Well, that is a rather tall order, so I hope that uh, one of these days some of you might uh, phone in to my Corporate Report radio show and give me your own thoughts on this and other matters, but let's leave it there for today. I am your host, James Corbett, thanking you for joining me for this edition of the Corbett Report and asking you to join me again next week for another edition. You win! Perfect!